Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Over the course of an adult's life, one's point of view changing as a result of their experience is probably more important than them arriving at some right truth and sticking with it for their entire life, because that's probably the least true. Just the way life works, right? Life is constantly teaching us through experience how your beliefs are inaccurate. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This series on how everything is true builds a lot on what we've discussed in the previous four episodes on how you've been conditioned to think unclearly. So if you haven't listened through that or want to refresh yourself on what transjectivism is, you might want to go back and listen through those because we'll be looking at truth through a transjectivist lens throughout this series. These series are both parts of the Clear Thinking course, which is now available online at courses.clearandopen.com. Again, courses.clearandopen.com. Clear thinking, by the way, is reflective and independent thinking. It teaches you to use your ability to reason, and it makes you an active learner rather than a passive recipient of information, which is what most of us were trained to do and be in mainstream education. And when you learn to practice clear thinking, you can better manage the thinking that is so often trying to control you. That's why this episode begins with my favorite libertarian making an argument in favor of the minimum wage, because changing the way you think about and perceive truth requires practice, like anything else. And if you're looking for extra credit, we also mention the Managing with Inquiry course in this episode, which is also available online. And I shared the Managing with Inquiry 101 as a podcast series in October 2019, which introduces you to the basic concept and the practice of not knowing. Not knowing, it's a thing, not just the absence of a thing. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I wanna help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Now let's start the show. Okay, great. So um, I'm going to make the case for the minimum wage, okay. which, I which, I, which I don't agree with. Any minimum wage whatsoever? What exactly is your opinion about it before you go into the... My opinion is that, is that uh, wages, wages should be negotiated freely between an employer and an employee. Uh-huh. Because you're a kick-ass libertarian. That's your style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's your stance, and you're going to argue for a minimum wage. That's correct. All right. How many minutes do you want? Two or three, maybe, I'm right. guessing. Awesome. Let's hear it. Okay. Here here it is. All human beings have the right to life. Human beings cannot exercise this right, that is, to survive without certain minimum requirements of food, clothing, shelter, and possibly some health care. And in our uh, developed society, rather than a hunter-gatherer or agrarian society, 
people have to work in order to be paid to be able to afford and pay for those necessities of life. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm laughing because I, I can feel the friction inside you. <laughs> Keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> um, however, employers are motivated by the maximization of profit and not by the welfare of their employees. Everybody knows this. And uh, especially the larger the company, the corporations uh, care even more about maximization of profit and even less about the welfare of their employees. So they have the desire to pay as little as they can get away with rather than what their employees need to survive, which I've already established uh, previously. And also, they don't understand uh, or honor this need, and they don't understand that their employees will be better employees if they're paid well, at least enough to survive comfortably. Mm -hmm. So you're saying it's the government's responsibility to regulate the greed of corporations. I was, just about to, I was just about to get to that, yes, okay. uh-huh. because this is an inhumane situation and unacceptable in a rich country. Our only alternative is to have the government mandate what the employers will not do on their own. Mm-hmm. But doesn't that undermine the power of the workers and treat them like children as if they can't negotiate for themselves? Uh, there's there's a power disparity uh, between employers and employees. Employers have all the power. Employees have no power. Mm-hmm. This is this is Marxist. Uh, this is Marxist theory. You know, right down the line, and it can't be disputed. I see. So it's possible for one human being to take power from another. Absolutely. Then how is it that unions function? Right. That in the in the case of collective bargaining, where a bunch of employees band together, which has been established and that's happened, and have been able to you know strike, for example, and say they're not going to work. In that case, it doesn't isn't the power. Don't don't those employees bootstrap themselves with their own power and fight against the power you say is so imbalanced structurally? They get the power from the collective of the union, and and the union leaders. Uh, negotiate on their behalf. Uh-huh. Okay. Not bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is great. Anything else in your case? I just want to emphasize how greedy employers are. <laughs> in summation. <laughs> and how they need the government to stick it to them. And we all know that the people in the government are there for the for the good of society. <laughs> No, that doesn't count. That was the other side of you, Riley. That was like Descartes' uh, Cartesian circle. You're just uh, sticking in a bad argument to advance your own point of view. Oops. <laughs> that was I'll hilarious. So tell me, what, what did you learn in the process of preparing this? Well done, Peter. What did you learn? Uh, well, that I could do what I didn't think I could do, which is argue for something I don't believe in. You didn't think you could do that? At first, I thought I couldn't. Uh-huh. But I decided to give it a shot. And why didn't you think you could do it? Because I, <laughs> I, I have this belief that I've come by all of my beliefs uh, logically and with and having thought of both sides before. So I've already, I've already looked at it and made the decision, even though it must have been a long time ago, and I've forgotten what the other side looked like. Can can you do us all a favor and try to say that again? That was gold. 
Okay. Because, um, let's see. Why didn't I think I could argue against it? Because I've came, I've come by my opinions, um, uh, from careful thought and looking at both sides of the issue. That's my belief about yes. myself. That's my yeah. belief about myself is that I've done this. And so, um, I've already demolished the other arguments in order to come to my current opinion. So how could I, how could I, and I've done it so long ago, I've forgotten what those arguments were. Ooh, I feel like I just ate a Thanksgiving meal that was so full and rich. We could end the call right now. I hope you guys got the importance of that. That was awesome. So I just need a moment to digest that because that's, that's huge. What you're saying is through this process, this is the emergent outcome. And I, I didn't plan for this. There's lots of different possible emergent outcomes. You challenged the, your own belief that you've been, that your opinions and outlooks on life were based in critical thinking to begin with, which is, of course, what we all think. You know, a friend of mine on Facebook said recently, let me see if I can capture it. He said, um, he said, uh, uh, intellectuals have the dubious distinction of basing their values around their actions. <laughs> Whereas most people try to have their actions uh, be based in what they believe. Smarty pants people tend to do what they do and then construct a model to justify it. You know, which is basically what politicians do. Well, of course, this is just what's right. You know, it gets me million dollars and millions of dollars in lobby. Well, this is what I believe. And you can see that in the flip-flopping that they do, depending on which lobbying group is supporting them at the moment. So I have to say, some of what I've said has is has a basis in truth. In of fact, course. I when I was a young guy in college or out of college, I flunked out of college, but Congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, I wear it as a badge of honor. Good. Uh, I, uh, I, I was very liberal. And then when I be, first became a, uh, a businessman, I became a conservative. And finally, in 1992, I saw the light and realized that, that neither have, uh, have, well, anyway, in other words, I made, a, I made a transition, a conscious transition from one to another to another. Yeah. So there's some truth in what I just said. Yeah. And you make another really good point uh, because like on this issue, I don't know what I think, honestly, it's a really tricky one because there's what is, there's the greed of corporations and the, the power that they do have. And then there's the other side, you know, the, the, um, the powerlessness, the victimhood on the other side and uh, regulation, not regulation. And, you know, it's a really tricky issue, but the, what I love about what you're saying is that the, your point of view has changed over time. And I think, over the course of an adult's life, one's point of view changing as a result of their experience is probably more important than them arriving at some right truth and sticking with it for their entire life, because that's probably the least true. Just the way life works, right? Life is constantly teaching us through experience how your beliefs are inaccurate. So if someone, you know, at the age of the ripe, wise age of 22 or whatever, has some model for what life's about and how things work, and they stick with that until they're 75, I would assert that they probably haven't been paying attention because, because the odds are that they didn't have everything figured out at 22. And so, you know, the far right uh, evangelical Christian at 22 ought to change just as much as the far left, uh, you know, 
progressive, you know, because life's going to wear down that those extremes. It's not about what's right. It's just going to, you know, kick them around a little bit and help them find a bigger point of view. So it's the people whose points of views never change that are probably they're the least flexible. Awesome, Peter. Well, thanks. Wow. And I just want I want to highlight that again about um, the piece about. I read a Richard Feynman quote just uh, yesterday. I'll, I'll have to just para- paraphrase it, but it said basically something is the um, the most important thing is to realize how easy it is to fool ourselves. And yeah, connect that to uh, Socrates' quote, uh, which is uh, not a paraphrase. Man is not a rational creature. He is a rationalizing one. And that's more to the point. You know, we, we tend to think this is the nature of the mind. The ego mind is quite certain that all of our beliefs, values, um, truths, patterns of approaching situations, opinions are carefully thought through, right? Because it can't, if you really start to do deep inquiry into the nature of your beliefs, some of you had this experience in the Managing with Inquiry course, which we did a few months ago. If you really start picking things apart, you will experience cognitive dissonance and literal disorientation in your reality. Why is that? What explains that? Because you start to pull on the loose threads of your beliefs and you you can have the direct experience that your mind has cobbled together an, an identity that it is so certain is real and solid and the beliefs are carefully thought through and, and everything is just so. And this is what, what I believe and why I believe it. But the fact is, a huge portion of our beliefs are formed before we even get that the tall, skinny glass of water has as much water as the short, fat one, right? Which doesn't happen until we're like seven or eight. And all of this, these beliefs and emotions and ways of relating to reality are put into us as the sponge children we are long before we have a head on our shoulders, not to mention the total lack of education and critical thinking, right? But none of us want to feel stupid because of shame. So the mind's like, I know what's going on. And then if you challenge someone's beliefs in the slightest fashion, you get defensivity in the world, right? What really the root of it, the the reason why there's so much unclear thinking in the world is precisely because of shame. And precisely because people are gripping this identity. Well, this is what I believe. This is who I am. Uh huh. Well, who are you without your beliefs? If you were to lose all of your beliefs, would you still exist? (laughs) Find out. You know, but when you go through the process of challenging your beliefs, and, and, and this is an example of how you can do that by arguing the other side of it and really exposing yourself to, uh, in, in an open way to things that are the opposite of what you believe, it's threatening. Because, and, and you can discover this really easily, you know, uh, when you're in an argument with someone, debate, or it could be a really heated argument. Uh, I, I, told, I think I told the story. This is one of my last conversations with my ex-wife where I said, um, 
I tell you, we were in this the same issue. They kept coming around. I said, I tell you what, I'm not feeling listened to. And she said, well, I'm not feeling listened to by you. And I said, okay, I have an idea. I'll argue your point of view. And you don't have to agree. I just need to know that you get my point of view. I'll argue your point of view. And you argue my point of view. And neither of us has to agree to the other, just so both of us can be heard. And she said, no. Uh, I said, what? why not? She had no answer. What explains this? It's a completely reasonable thing. It's one of the basic mediation tools in a mediator's toolkit. Hey, can you see what it looks like in this other person's point of view? And the answer is either one, the person's not listening and they just can't do it and they're so embarrassed they don't want to admit it. That's sometimes the case. But usually what it is, is there's this fear of if I even leave my point of view for a moment, I'll lose my own spine. I'll lose my way. I'll succumb to your point of view. In other words, fear. And, you know, that's one of the things that inquiry will take you in, uh, take one of the places inquiry will take you to. It's not a comfortable place at first, seeing the equality of all points of view, right? Because in, in, in this course, I'm trying to do a very tricky thing, which is to advocate for truth absolutely in some ways, while at the same time respecting the um, total relativistic truth that everyone's truth is true in one way that we established in the last course. Both are true. Right? Because even someone who thinks that the moon is made of cheese and has, is covered in, you know, uh, little gray aliens, that's true for them. And it's completely reasonable based on their experiences, their other models for reality, how they're getting through the day. It's relatively true. It is. Right? The same way if I say, you know, think of a pink elephant, that pink elephant has some amount of existence, even if it's in your own mind. But then at the same time, I would say, well, a actual elephant is more real than the pink elephant in your mind. That's where people have a hard time saying like, everything is true. Another way of saying this is everything is true and some things are truer than others. That's the transjectivity there. Objectivity is it's either true or it's not. No, it's not true that there's a pink elephant. No, it's not true that the moon is made of cheese. That's wrong. Subjectivity is everyone has their own truth. Everybody's creating their own reality. Isn't it fascinating that everybody can have these different opinions? And I would say transjectively, not that both of those points of view are wrong, but both of them are incomplete. Everything is true and some things are truer than others. Try living that. And that actually is quite useful because we're going to be get, wading into excuses, hopefully today. I don't know. I don't forget hopefully. Strike that. You can do that in a court. You can say strike that and it never existed, <laughs> which is one of the funniest things. Strike that. The jury will disregard what was just said. <laughs> yeah, that, right? You can do that. That's the objectivity. That's the pseudo objectivity of a court of law. Strike that from the record. Poof, never happened. <laughs> but the person just confessed. Yes, strike that. <laughs> Nothing to see here. 
I said with all due respect, <laughs> we're going to be getting to excuses. And this is where uh, the, the, trans, the, the point of view, the transjective point of view of everything is true and some things are truer than others is, I would argue, the most useful way of meeting people where they are. Because if you destroy somebody's argument or hang their excuse out to dry, they're going to get really, really embarrassed. They'll shut down. So when you're dealing with people, even in a court of law, this is the case. Because um, I had the dubious privilege of serving on a three-day trial about seven or eight years ago. And it was so cool because I get to see how law actually worked. And it's so different than TV. Wow. And I could see one of the attorneys was so bad, I actually reported him to the bar. And they said, we can't do anything about poor attorneys, sorry. But I, that, I felt like as a citizen, it was my responsibility because he was so bad, he, he, he was incompetent. And the other guy was kicking so much ass that he had to be careful not to look arrogant. And I could see he was doing it. He was being very calm, very cool, not gloating about how well he was doing. And, and I was just like, wow, this guy's just raking this guy over the coals. And I could see he was working at that. Because that's what happens. Because if you're too, even when you're right, it's almost like the more right you are, the more careful you have to be not to appear arrogant because you're just going to make people shut down. Now, should that be the case? Should it be raining? (laughs) That's just how it is. So meeting people where they are with the relativistic truth, getting that their truth is their truth for that for reasons that began the day they were born, maybe sooner, maybe earlier, I mean, meeting them where they are, being like, oh, I see. Okay, so you think that it's okay to say you didn't respond to my email for five days because you're so busy. I got it. Tell me more about how busy you are. Rather than, I don't care how busy you are. <laughs> You, you respond to emails in 36 hours. That's our agreement or whatever it is. It's just going to make people contract, right? So you meet their truth as ridiculous, absurd, exculpatory, whiny, victim-y, whatever as you, some part of you might think. If you meet that with compassion, oh, I see this person. This, you say to yourself on the inside, oh, they're playing victim to overwhelm. Okay, how can I help? I'm not going to accept that excuse, but I'm not going to shove it down their throat either. That's transjective. That's the hardest. And it's also what actually reaches people. It's something I work on every day. This this is related to uh, what you were talking about a little bit earlier about that transition from like where you were to where you are now and, and seeing uh, that that change, I see it in uh, books that I books and movies, pop culture that I love back in my twenties, thirties, mm-hmm. and I'm you know, and watching them recent recently, it's easy to say, oh, that movie hasn't aged well. Well, conversely, in a lot of cases, if you're to really think about it, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I have aged well. Like that is an <laughs> immature film, you know. Mm-hmm. I recently reread Catcher in the Rock in, in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Holden Caulfield is an asshole. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I loved, I loved him. When I was in my young 20s, I wanted to be him. Yep. Rereading it 25 years later, he's just a narcissistic jerk. 
Yep. Yeah. And, and the story is still, right? It's still a very well-told story. Yep. But he's a narcissistic jerk. Yeah. You know. And every teenager ought to read it because it's phasically appropriate for the discovery and expression of individualism that is the hallmark of teenagehood. And really tell me, screw what other people think. This is my truth. I'm going with it. Congratulations. You are a mature teenager. Run with that as far as you can. See how life chisels away at it and forges you into the next phase. So that's a great example. It's, it's relatively true for most teenagers, and it's relatively immature for, I'd say, anyone over 25, 28, certainly 30 plus. Yeah, and I was relatively slow on the maturity train, so at 25, it hit me at about perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, and for, for reasons that began the day you were born, right? You were on the track you were on, and that's what, when, you, what you needed, when you needed to read it. Right. And you start, you start to see, if you really start to look through this transjective lens of everything is true and some things are truer than others, the mind cannot navigate that. It really can't. And that's what I love about that perspective because it's like a koan. You know, a koan is one of those mind puzzles, like what is the sound of one hand clapping? To go through your life and to accept that everything everybody says is true for them in that moment. And exactly what they need to be saying and doing, they're on their journey. And there is an objective truth that one day they're going to have to surrender to. That's something the mind really can't navigate. You can only navigate that with your heart because the heart is the aspect of us that can include opposites because those are opposites. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, Know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.